Now, uh, my name's Stan. For those that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I am a firstborn. Do we have any firstborn people online? Any firstborn in the house? What does that mean? That means everything's got to be fair, <laughs> right? Right? And you probably are, if you're like me, you're a bit of a, generally speaking, a rule follower. You like things to be done right, and you do them right, and you want everyone else to follow along and do things right. Am I right, or is this just me, right? Because i got to be right. <laughs> hey, in 2001, we came to uh, Australia, and we took a trip down the Great Ocean Road because we were told that's what you have to do. And at one of the stops, and by the way, it wasn't nearly as commercialized as it is now, and you could just like take a, a, a walk and end up in the middle of the ocean and you know, fall off the cliffs and all that. But we came to this one spot, and there was a sign that said, the cliffs are unsafe or whatever, do not go past this point. And there's a little sign on the ground right there. Now, I'm a rule follower, but I think that's a silly rule. All right, because there's lots more space out there, and I want to see more. But my 12-year-old son at the time, who's also a firstborn, right, was really, really reluctant to go past that sign because it said, don't go past the sign. And it took a long time for us to coax him to the other side of the sun where we snapped a photo, and I'm not sharing that with you today to uh, hide the evidence uh, so we didn't have that photo uh, for you. But... He was really serious about that rule. It's like, we can't go past that sign because it says don't go past the sign. Again, I thought that was a silly, silly rule. So when we go through life, some of you have no problem at all uh, with, with rules. You have no tension about rules because your mantra might be rules were made to be broken, right? Anybody admit to that? Right, there's a few, there's a few. I expect you to respond at the end of the message today. And this tension between rule followers and people that think rules are only a suggestion uh, created a lot of problems for us here in Victoria in 2000 and, or 2020 and 2021, right? Because there were people who really thought we should be obeying the rules and following the rules to the letter, and there's people that thought, what rules? <laughs> Forget the rules, right? And sometimes, in some places, in some families even, those rules damaged relationship because we put the rules ahead of the relationship and and again if you're firstborn you're like if you're not obeying the rules I don't want a relationship with you that scares me so fear and rules and all that damaged some relationships for those of you who don't like rules I've got really really good news for you today today is the last message in the series rules to live by no more rules after today. And you might be actually surprised because there's going to be a plot twist uh, today. We've worked through uh, the set of rules that God gave the nation of Israel. We call those the Ten Commandments. They're in the book of Exodus, uh, part of our Old Testament. It was the original Jewish scriptures. And we have went through those ten rules and we've talked about how those apply to society and life today and for centuries on down, uh, how those rules have actually worked themselves out. If you missed any of those messages, take Lovely's advice, go to our website, go to our app, go to YouTube, wherever you want, and you'll find us there and you can go back and binge all of those messages and it will be worthwhile for you. Now, for those that have been here through the whole series, online or in the room or a combination of the two, if I gave you a pop quiz today, and I said, list 
All 10 rules. How do you think you would go? Anybody think they could do it? I see no hands. I know some of you could, Phil Wilson. Come on. You could list them, right? It wouldn't be that hard. It's probably easier than you think. But then if I took the quiz to another level, it's going to be a test now. Take that list of 10 rules, and I want you to rank them in order of importance. <laughs> okay, I'm not going there. Stop it. Uh, you just did it. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what that's about, go back and listen to week three, I think it is, or maybe it's week six. I, I don't remember where Pastor N.K. Uh, spoke in this series. Um, so you're going to rank those rules first to last. What's the most important? What's the least important? You're going to be relieved that I'm not going to ask you to do that today because we're actually going to jump to the New Testament and we're going to see how Jesus responded when some people asked him to actually do that, to rank the rules. Tell us what the most important rule is. So we're going to jump right in. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew was a follower of Jesus who wrote down the things that he learned while he followed Jesus. And he gave us a historical account of Jesus' life. So Matthew says this. He says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, talking about Jesus, they met together to question him again. Now, there's a couple of words in there that if you are not a church person, you're thinking, what is that? A Pharisee, a Sadducee. And those are religious leaders of the day, religious leaders of the Jewish nation. And they were uh, the ones that made the rules or interpreted the rules. And these two groups didn't actually agree about all the rules and all the theology and everything. Okay, So the Pharisees saw that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Now, for you to understand what they're talking about here, the Sadducees had uh, asked Jesus a question, a silly question, a ridiculous, they painted a ridiculous scenario to try to trap him and trick him into telling them about the resurrection or, or trying to debunk the fact that the resurrection was even real because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Repressing a joke here. Thank you. Uh, so the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They said, Jesus... What if a woman marries a man, and he dies, and then she marries his brother, and he dies, and then he marries his brother, and he dies, and on and on again, seven times. They said, when she dies, whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? They thought they had him. And Jesus said, silly guys, there's no marriage there. There's no marriage in the resurrection. You, you, you got it all wrong. And by the way, the resurrection is real. So the Pharisees then heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and then they met together. Now, why are they meeting together? I would expect, because I know the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees, I would think they'd be meeting together to say, cool, Jesus is on our side. He just told them the resurrection is real. We need to throw a party for him. We need to get Jesus on our team and make him maybe our front man because look what he just did to the Sadducees. But that's not what they were meeting about. They were meeting to figure out how they could trap him because they were more concerned about their own power and about their own traditions and their own position than they were about the fact that Jesus had just theologically agreed with them and debunked the Sadducees. So they said to this, or, or after their meeting, they said this. One of them, expert in the religious law, 
tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Again, rank the rules. Tell us which one is most important. Now, this is actually a decent question, unlike the one the Sadducees asked. It was just absolutely a ridiculous scenario. This question came from the rabbis who, we, we went through 10 commandments, okay? But scholars with much too much time on their hands have figured out there's actually 613 commandments in the scriptures, okay? So the Pharisees are coming to Jesus. The expert in the religious law is coming to Jesus and he's saying, out of those 613 commandments, Jesus, which one is most important? Now, this was a, a regular item of debate, for the rabbis. They don't, talked about this all the time. They tried to rank them. And they, they actually, of those 613, listen to this. They were a bit ridiculous too, like the, uh, the Sadducees. They decided that there were affirmative and negative uh, uh, commands or rules to live by. And they said 248 of them are affirmative. And they said that represents every part of the human body, 248. And then that leaves 365, so there's a negative one for every day of the year. So they're saying, Jesus, which one is the most important out of those 613? So they would make distinctions between hard and easy, and uh, the laws were divided into heavy and light, and there was debate about ranking, and some of them, did you even really have to keep them if they're really light ones and those kind of things? Are they silly rules like don't cross this line on the Great Ocean Road? It's not a silly rule, by the way. Do not cross the line on the Great Ocean Road. I just realized what I'm telling you there. Oh, wow. So here, we've got the religious leaders of the day trying to uh, trip Jesus up. They're on a mission, and Jesus' teaching was challenging. It was confronting. It was convicting, so they wanted to get rid of him, so now they're asking him this series of questions to try to get rid of him once and for all. Up to now, they had asked him, first of all, a political question. They had asked him about taxes, is it okay to pay taxes? Do we have to pay taxes? We're still asking that question today. Jesus' answer to their political question was, hey, I'm not getting into politics. You do what's right in the government's eyes, that you pay your taxes and all those things. And then they asked him the theological question about the resurrection, which they didn't believe in anyway. So now the Pharisees decided, okay, we got one more shot. Political, theological. Now we're going to ask you a legal question. Now, what do we know about people who ask legal questions? What are they? Legalists, right? right? That reveals legalism when people start asking a lot of religious questions. So the Pharisees were all about the list of rules. They were rule followers and rule makers. They made rules about rules so that they wanted to make sure that they didn't do the wrong thing. They were all firstborns. But Jesus did not have a lot of patience for these religious leaders, the rule makers. Look what he said in Matthew chapter 23. And go home and read that for yourself. But here's a summary. He said, these religious leaders don't practice what they teach. So don't watch what they're doing. They crush people with unbearable religious demands. He said, everything they do is for show. Seven times in Matthew 23, he calls them hypocrites. Five times he calls them blind, blind guides and blind fools. 
And then he, he closes it out with saying, you guys are snakes, sons of vipers. So is Jesus trying to win friends here? When I look at what Jesus said to the Pharisees, and I know Jesus' character and everything else we see about Jesus, Jesus would take a woman caught in adultery and say, go and sin no more, your sins are forgiven. He would tell the woman at the well that he was there to offer her living water and she was not a nice person necessarily. Jesus was full of mercy, he was full of grace. But to these religious leaders, he was a bit harsh. And he had no patience for those guys that were trying to make the rules and make people live by the rules and trying to trip him up with the rules here. So to these religious leaders, Jesus says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Didn't say thou shalt not murder, shalt not lie, shalt not steal, and on and on. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Jesus is giving them an answer that would have been very familiar to them because he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the beginning of what the Hebrews called the Shema. And they would recite this twice a day. And they would have this verse written down uh, on a scrap of paper or a piece of paper. And it would be put in a container and they would wear it around their forehead or on their wrist. And this was really important to them. So he would have connected very well with them when he said, this is the most important. It was really important to them. It played a key role in the religious life of the Jews. So essentially, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I'm declaring to you that the greatest commandment is something you practice every day or that you recite every day, you read every day. And it's the most important thing is you're holding it the closest to you. So there'd be no surprises here. So while they were on about the rules, what we see here in this command is that Jesus' answer says, it's all about a loving relationship. You ask me what's the most important rule. The most important rule is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Now the ancient Hebrews would have understood those words, heart, soul, and mind, to be actually all-inclusive or the, the whole package of who you are, your whole being. But heart referred to the core of one's being. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. The springs of life flow from your heart. The soul, that's the closest thing we've got to emotion as far as a word. We understand the emotion. And, uh, Jesus used uh, a similar word in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. When he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He says, I am grieved to the point of death. My soul is grieved to the point of death. And then the word mind uh, is translated also the word might in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then in Mark's account of the same thing, Matthew's account says heart, soul, and mind. Mark's adds strength. The reason for that is the word mind is not just talking about the intellect and the knowledge that comes from, from our mind, but also the strength and the, the vigor, determination, and uh, the, the mental as well as physical endeavor. So that's what the Jews would have understood Jesus to be talking about right now. When heart, mind, strength, or heart, soul, mind, strength. You say, you got to love the Lord, your God, 
with your whole being, with everything that is within you. Loving the Lord with one's heart, soul, and mind is every part of our being. And the way that plays out is a love, it's a love for God that dominates our emotions. When we experience emotions, we experience a lot of different emotions, don't we? Joy, sadness, anger, victory, all those things that just well up inside of us. A love for God that dominates our emotions. When those emotions hit, our emotions then we, we say, hey, I'm going to focus those on God. It directs our thoughts. It dictates what we think, and then it determines our actions. That's what a love for God does that Jesus is talking about. Now, as he's saying this to these guys, I'm reading this, and I'm saying, this is a massive ask. You're asking, Jesus, you're saying that all of my emotions need to be dominated by my love for God. All of my thoughts need to be directed by my love for God. And all the, my actions need to be determined by my love for God. Who thinks that's a big ask? Nobody? You guys online, is that a big ask or not? Just type it in. Yes, that's a big ask. I think that's actually what Jesus was trying to point out to them. You ask me about a rule. What's the greatest rule? And I'm showing you something here that is impossible. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But that's the highest standard. That's what I am asking you to do. I think Jesus is pointing out to them, you will need help for this one. So how do we love God with all of our being? How do we love God with everything within us? First of all, we need to understand that to love God with our whole being is a response to his love. It's a response to his love. Our love for him begins because he first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says that. We love him because he loved us first. We're responding. That's how we love God is in response to his. We have no capacity to love him or anyone else the way he desires us to without first acknowledging his love for us. It's a response from us to, to his love. What did that look like for God, his love for us? 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, this is love, not what, that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love was active. He saw us in sin and he sent Jesus to die for our sins. Romans 5 eight says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. Now think about this for a moment. God loved you. God loves me. He still loves you. He loves every person on the planet. Even those that we think are unlovable. God loved them so much that he showed it by sending Jesus to die for their sins. Now, if we are going to love God with our whole being, that's a good start to say, wow, you did that for me? That's your love for me? Well, I think I'll dig down deep and figure out how I can love you as much as I can with everything in me, right? But a loving, loving God with our whole being is not just a response to his love. It requires faith. Think about that for a moment. It requires faith. The relationship with him is based on faith. It's based on trust in him. If you're going to love him with your whole being, it has to be someone that you can trust, that you can have confidence in. 
We would not love God if we're not willing to trust him. We will not love God if we are not willing to trust him. We have to first trust him that when he says he sent Jesus to save us from our sins and we need to repent of those sins and accept Jesus, that's our first step of trusting him, believing that what he says is true. I'm gonna love you because what you said is true and you sent Jesus to die for my sins. If we're gonna follow him then with, our rest of, with the rest of our life, we have to trust him. You've got to believe that God is trustworthy. You have to have faith. We have to trust that his plans are better than our plans. If we are going to love him with our whole being, it requires extreme faith. It requires us to trust him that if we give him our plans, if we give him our hopes, if we give him our dreams and hold them with open hands for him to take away, that he's gonna replace them with what's better because his plans, hopes, and dreams for you are better than yours. That's the kind of faith that we need if we're gonna love God with our whole being. Jesus called the disciples. When he called them, he asked them to forsake all to follow him. That means leave the familiar, leave your family, leave your friends and follow me. Set all that aside and follow me. It's extreme faith. It's a huge ask, but that's what God is asking. He works out the specifics in every individual's lives. He may ask you to do some extreme stuff that you never want to do. He may ask you to just live daily where you're at, in your workplace, in your schools, and faithfully be a witness of his. It may be simple, it may be complex, but we have to have faith that trusts in him if we're gonna love him with our whole being. Then finally, loving God with our whole being, get this now, results in obedience. We started the series talking about rules to live by. And we've gone through all the rules. And in the first week, we talked about being a God follower, not a rule follower. Well, this is why. Because if you are a follower of God, if you love God with our whole being, the result, the natural outcome will be the rules will take care of themselves. See, we don't have to try to be rule followers. If we are loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, Loving God with everything in us, the rules will take care of themselves. John chapter 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, obey my commandments. John 14, 23 says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. At the core of being a God follower is this one word, love, love. That's at the core of it. You know, some people uh, that, that uh, haven't been exposed to Christianity before and the whole Jesus thing, the whole church thing, think that God is, uh, uh, is somebody that we have to please and appease all the time. God is a God of love. He loved you. He wants you to love him. That's it. It's that simple. So Jesus has answered the question that was asked. And he could have stopped there. But does Jesus always stop at the simple, basic answers? Of course not. And that wasn't simple and basic. That would have shocked them already. But then he says this. The second, or a second, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is right up there, same level. Love your neighbor just like you love yourself. Now again, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, Leviticus Chapter 19 and verse 18, he says, love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. So this second commandment involves the same key word, the same virtue of love. 
Same thing. Love God. Love people. Pharisees had no genuine love for God. Neither did they have genuine love for their brothers or sisters. They did not have genuine love for people. See, a genuine love for one's neighbor is the same as a genuine love for God. When it says, do it as you love yourself, it's a choice. It's purposeful. It's intentional and it's active. When you think about loving like you love yourself, when a person's hungry, they eat. When a person's thirsty, they go get something to drink. When a person is sick, he or she goes to the doctor and takes medicine. When we think about loving others the way we love ourselves, it's feeding, it's thirsting, giving them something to drink, it's taking care of the needy. That's loving people like you love yourself. We're not gonna unpack all of that this week because we're starting a new series next week called Living Together. And we're gonna talk about how do we actually do this? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? And we're gonna look at several different relationships through that series. So be back next week as we, we kick that off. But as that wasn't, if that wasn't enough, Jesus said, love God, heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he's gonna take it to another level. He says this, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Those 613 you were talking about, they actually all fit under those two. Wow. Man, you were breathing a sigh of relief, weren't you? It's like, oh, we don't have to do the 613. If you do the two, guess what? The 613 are just going to be natural. Does it mean you're going to live a perfect life? Means you're never going to mess up? No, 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 no. It doesn't mean that at all. Romans chapter 13, just in case you're wondering, Paul writing to uh, the Roman believer says, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So see, Paul understood, yeah, we're talking about the commandments. We're talking about the rules to live by that we've been talking about. Paul says, you know, it's gonna, you can sum it up. Those relational ones with people, love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you're going to kick the goals. The two great commandments do not replace the rest, but the rest depend on them. Matthew Henry said it this way, Christ recommends to us those as the great commandments, not which are so exclusive of the others, but which are therefore great because inclusive of others. If you're trying to work out which commandments I need to keep, which ones I don't, what's Old Testament law and what's New Testament, love God, heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The religious leaders were strong, 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 strong on rules. But they were weak on relationship. Jesus says it's not about the rules. It's about the relationship. You get these relationships right. Your relationship with, your, with God and your relationship with people. You get that right, the rules will take care of themselves. Week one, we said, don't be a rule follower, be a God follower. Being a God follower is all about love. So today, you actually have a choice to make. You can choose to try and live by a list of rules. 613 of them in the Bible. I didn't look it up. I should have looked it up. But I guess our government has more than that even. We can choose to try to live by a list of rules. And you know what will happen? 
when we make that choice, we will not be able to succeed. We will fall flat on our face. Not on every rule, not every day, but there's no way we will keep all the rules. But we can try if you want, if you want to go that route. Or you can choose to live in a loving relationship with the creator of the universe. Hmm. What will you do? Which one would you choose? Now, it sounds like a trick question, doesn't it? But there are people here, there are people online watching right now that go through life choosing the first one. I'm going to live by a list of rules. I'm going to be a good person. If I'm a good person, if I do more good than bad, then God will let me into his heaven one day and things like that. When, if we just look a little past the rules and see that there's a God of love who loved you and loved you and loved you and loved you and you first so that you could respond to him in love requires some faith. Then you can see what the rules, what happens to the rules after that. Put your faith in God. Put your trust in God who loved you first. Gave his son to die for you. Respond to his love. Then rest in, there's a word I haven't used yet. But you know what that love that he showed us is all about? It's all about grace because he knew we couldn't keep the rules. That's what Jesus' sacrifice was. It was God's mercy to us. And he shows us grace by allowing us to come to him through Jesus. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, thank you so much for understanding our inability to keep the rules. Lord, we try and we fail. And then we lean into your mercy. We lean into your grace. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for Jesus' words to the, the, the Pharisees that day that demonstrate to us how we could have a loving relationship with you. Thank you, Father, for making that pathway possible through Jesus. And for those that said that prayer today, Lord, I pray that you would give them understanding, that you would give them courage. Lord, I pray that you would help them be willing to even have a conversation today about that. And Lord, I pray that you would help them as they leave here today and help all of us who have put our faith and trust in you at some point. Lord, help us as we leave here today to rest in your grace, to be confident in your mercy, and to go live in that space knowing we have a relationship that results in us being obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen.